What is up, wrestling fans? And for the last time, welcome to this edition of the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast here on the Smart Cat Moment channel. I am your host, as always, Callum Wiggins, and joining me on this bittersweet occasion, Robert DeFelice. Yes, it's the end of, a, of a long and interesting journey. So when we started this journey, The Rock was not even WWE champion yet because it was The Undertaker. And we saw The Rock just go away for a while. We saw, you know, Hulk Hogan for a while. Hulk Hogan's back. And it's it's crazy to me that we've gone full circle and here we are at the end of Paul Heyman's journey. Yep, so we started this way back in the end of June. And, uh, yeah, it's just been a many, many months long journey going back over the history of SmackDown under Paul Heyman's stewardship. Obviously, at, at this point, Heyman is well removed from the head writer's position, but we decided to extend the show a little bit longer just so we could see his final on-screen appearance, at the very least, until around about November time, I believe, October, November. So, yeah, this is a, um, it's going to be a good show. Like, already can mention about the fact that the, the show itself is wrestling heavy, which I think is fitting for the uh, final episode. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very Paul Heyman, and it's kind of, I think this era ushered in what we see today. Obviously, what we see today is at a much more breakneck grim term but breakneck speed and i think this generation did it we hear all the time sasha banks say eddie guerrero we hear all the time you know chad gable has said he looked up to kurt angle chris benoit everybody looks up to ray you know it's it was just such an important journey absolutely and obviously we thank everyone who's been listening throughout the entire journey so far away from the first episode to the last if you are starting here towards the very end, for whatever reason, then there's obviously a playlist where you can, uh, on the YouTube channel where you can get caught up on every single thing that you've we've said throughout this journey, the many hours upon hours of content that we've delivered here. Um, so yeah, so you can just enjoy the whole journey in perpetuity. Uh, other stuff that you can do, obviously, we would love it if you could just leave a like on the video, uh, share it around if you're so inclined to do so, drop a comment below about how you've enjoyed the journey so far, your, your thoughts on our thoughts on this particular episode of SmackDown. Uh, yeah, other stuff as well. There's obviously there's the membership buttons. If you want to do that, you can leave a little applause on there. There's a link to the WWE Network version of this show, which will be pretty much redundant in a couple of weeks' time because you'll be on Peacock, baby, and we're not updating it. <laughs> yeah, we're really... Well, now let's be clear. We don't actually know how what is the Peacock thing going to be because even the... Fastlane pay-per-view says Peacock and the network. So, like, I don't know how that switchover is going to work exactly, or if they're just going to block the service in the U.S. altogether. So, if you have a VPN, or if you're in, outside the U.S., you're good to go. And before we get started on this, just the final edition, I want to speak to the people that have been listening to all of this series, because obviously, like I said, thank you very much for doing so, but you are the... You're the real listeners of Smart Count Moment. You're the people that don't just listen for the main events and a few bits and pieces like that. You're the people that are absorbing all of our content. We do appreciate that side of things. But 
because you are the real people that means that we need your support and a lot of you have been giving us our support and we do again thank you from the bottom of our hearts for doing that but there is of course the patreon the smart camera merchandise stores on redbubble and tpublic if you really want to make a difference you really want more of this stuff because me and rob want to deliver more retro content tony wants to deliver more fun interesting stuff on top of the stuff that we're doing in the main events we want to do all of that stuff but we need your help to do that and of course any amount of you can donate whether it's a dollar five dollars ten dollars whatever you think that this amount of content that we've been delivering on a regular basis especially this year on top of everything else because this year has been fucking crazy for wrestling stuff right now yeah and if you want us to keep basically hitting every single Thing that we can do to, to just basically just fire on all cylinders be on top of everything the patreon is the best way to help us do that i agree and you know again even if it's just a dollar if that's what you can contribute as long as like you're letting us know that we are worth your time and we know how um, important money is especially now but Every little bit helps, and we thank you in advance. Talk a little bit more about that stuff going forward, but for now, let's get right into the show itself by talking about some news and events from this point in time, which is the biggest news from The Observer is reporting that Kurt Angle received an MRI scan on March the 3rd, revealing he had severe neck damage and would soon require surgery that would put him out of action for one year. At least that's what they're reporting at the time. Kurt Angle decided. <laughs> yeah, that, three months. It's it's not one year. In fact, I I forget what I was listening to. It was uh, it was a podcast with I think it was Arn Anderson. Uh, a listener had said they're gonna have neck surgery, and Arn had said it's because they found a way to go in through the back. I believe that like they cut down all of his recovery time yeah uh, i would uh, obviously recommend people if they can find it online to listen to the mania of wrestlemania documentary which really dives into kurt angle's neck surgery the neck problems he had going into that match with brock lesnar and the surgery he took place afterwards it goes into detail about the procedure that took place the fact that kurt angle did it to try and cut down his uh, recovery time as much as possible but if it had gone wrong in any way, it obviously could have very much ended his career prematurely. Right. And just real quick, the Mania of WrestleMania is one of the early, really good WWE documentaries. Yeah, I can't say that I've watched every single one of them, of course, because I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of the WWE documentary approach. But I feel like out of the ones that I've seen, it's one of the best and one of the most gritty and realistic Back then, like, let's be real, back then when that was all that you had, Mm. they were even better because you didn't know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It really gives you a a real peek behind the curtain. Because it doesn't doesn't pull any punches about how, what was happening with Stone Cold Steve Austin and Kurt Angle going into that show. Maybe they felt like it was still a time where they could be so raw, you know? Pardon the pun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Maybe they felt like only real marks are going to be watching this stuff so they can be a little bit more cut to the bone i mean they were doing the confidential series during this run as well so it was kind of all the rage looking into the inner workings of the business i 
I wish they had kept that level of openness and honesty, but it's wrestling, so what can you do? Uh, other stuff that happened, there was a single match on a house show circuit, which basically changed Raw's landscape for a couple of months, in that three people were injured in it, in one tag team match. Oh, yeah. So one of them wasn't too serious. Bubba Ray Dudley suffered a badly bruised back in this tag team match, and that meant that he wasn't wrestling for a little while, but he did manage to get back pretty soon afterwards. Uh, but the other side of that tag team equation, that was a different story, because... Randy Orton broke several bones in his right foot and dislocated his big toe. Um, which would put him out of action up until Bad Blood, I believe. Dislocated? Jeez, dislocating your toe sounds so painful. Yeah. So Orton is out from now until, like I said, Bad Blood 2003 when he interferes in the Shawn Michaels Ric Flair match. So I think he might come back just a week or so beforehand because he helps. Uh, he's one of the reasons can masks, because he comes back like with a mask on and like helps Triple H. Yeah, yeah, he definitely does do that. I believe that was after Bad Blood 2003, though, because I believe again this is just exposing my potential encyclopedia knowledge. I believe Bad Blood 2003 is when Kane and RVD drop the tag team championships to La Resistance. I know you're you're probably absolutely right. Yeah, so it was, it was kind of the week afterwards, I believe, a couple of weeks afterwards. Uh, the other injury is to Batista, who tears his triceps in that match. We don't see... I think Paul Heyman is back on TV before Batista. I believe Batista comes back in the... After Goldberg becomes world champion. Series. Yeah, it's, no, it's after Goldberg becomes world heavyweight champion, because he has a match with Goldberg while Goldberg is heavyweight champion, I believe. Right, so what they did was... So Hunter drops the belt... Unforgiven. Un- and Unforgiven. And he does a, I think, quarter of a million dollar bounty mm-hmm. on Goldberg. And Batista comes back, shatters Goldberg's ankle. And that's when you get evolution at full force. That is still on the. That's like late October, early November. Yeah, absolutely. So they're both action, out of action for a while. Um,. The only other bit of uh, news that I saw is apparently that Eddie Guerrero wasn't particularly happy with the uh, Los Guerreros vignettes they've been doing. He basically, uh, his, really? his issue, yeah, his issue was with it isn't exactly with the content itself, but it was the uh, setting. It said that he didn't like the fact that they were too essentially being portrayed as two Hispanics in uh, Beverly Hills doing all this stuff, where he wanted to, it to be a bit more gritty and being filmed in Mexico itself. So it wasn't ah. a case of them just being like... So I guess the idea would be it's more racially motivated, put, put it into Los Angeles, because the idea of like, oh, they're just they're, they're two Mexicans picking on white guys, essentially, or something like that. Right. Whereas um, they want to put it more in the Mexican setting, because this, then they're just two guys that like to lie and cheat and steal in... in just, yeah, custom. like they're just scumbag dudes, not, you know, oh, it's these... It's these Mexicans kind of thing. Yeah, but that that was the only other real piece of uh, news that I found in any way intriguing. So let's talk about Monday Night Raw. And um, before we do that, we have to talk about the ratings war because Raw ends the ratings war where they have been dominated for the vast majority of this entire journey. And they end it on about as high a note as they possibly can with their highest ever rating in this entire journey. Hell yes. A 4.5. Uh, 
to mark the return. But nowadays, God, that's like three times as much they get nowadays. <laughs> that's like untouched, unfathomable. Yeah, so <sighs> in order in response to uh, the presence of both the rock and the return of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh wow. Yeah. So that's what we talk about a little bit. Uh, in comparison, SmackDown scored a three point eight, totally respectable for the time period they were in, but was always going to be blown out of the water by that number. So that's so. It it speaks volumes to the importance of stars. Stars. Specific. Look, we all love the colossal posters of everybody being a star and yes it makes it seem like boy it's the most star-studded thing ever but when you can just put rock and austin on tv and you get 4.5 that's so crazy yep it's just a thing when you say like when everyone's a star no one's a star right and these two are stars that's the difference it makes like, like in comparison, it's just like looking over the numbers. Like Raw at some points during this year, Raw at their lowest this year got three point one. Really? Yep, that was on the eleventh uh, of November edition. Again, three point one right now would be like holy shit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but like a one point four leap from that amount, obviously, it wasn't like that. Like they they've been getting higher ratings for a, a little while anyway. But a four point five is still a massive leap. So that's the power of these guys. And let's see what this show has in store. So one of the biggest parts of the show, obviously, there was Austin and The Rock. They would go face-to-face on this show. Um, Austin returned. And essentially, what the idea was that Bischoff had planned a welcoming committee for him, which consisted of people like Three Minute Warning and Chief Morley, Rico, Jericho, Christian, those sort of people. And they were waiting outside for Austin to turn up. Austin drove up in his pickup truck and basically decided, okay, I'm just going to plow straight through everyone. Uh, so that's what he did. And just went straight to the ring, uh, cut a promo for a little while about how um, like Vince, he told Vince a little while ago he could take his job and shove it and all that stuff, but he's back now and he's going to go to WrestleMania at some capacity. Rock comes out, they go face to face. Uh, Rock backs down. Austin beats up uh, Three Minute Warning and Rico, and that's the closing angle of the show. Okay, so I don't want to get too off the beaten path here, but I did hear this recently where somebody had said on the Ruthless Aggression documentary, Stone Cold Steve Austin had basically said, oh, it's my fault. I, you know... I wanted to prove a point, but I could have handled it better. Do you think that Stone Cold Steve Austin was one at fault? I think that it was a stupid idea to give away Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Brock Lesnar on television. Could he have yeah. handled it better? Yes, but he was totally in the right with that decision. It's the idea of like he's protective of his character. Not so much protective of his character, he wants to make fucking money. He wants the company to make money. Right. And like you build up Brock Lesnar for a long time, and realistically, you could have done WrestleMania 19, Austin against Brock. And that would have been... I would say it would have done major business and stuff like that, but it would have been a, arguably a bigger deal than Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar. So, yeah, I just don't think that Austin was in the wrong with his decision. And, yeah, maybe 
Like maybe the way he went about it was the wrong way of doing it, but it's it's it doesn't change his decision being the incorrect one. Right. I, I definitely think he was in the right. I I can understand, especially now knowing his love for wrestling, that he probably wanted to do more and feels like he wasted his final good months. Mm. But I don't think he was in the wrong. So other stuff that happened. This uh, show included the infamous promo segment where Triple H told Booker T that people like him don't get to be world champion. Which I thought we were going to get away from this journey without having to talk about that. Unfortunately, I yeah, just managed to uh, creep on in there at the very last sec- second. But um, I now think I, I, I'm going little... to I'm going to say this first of all, just because I'm going to put it out there. I don't think Triple H intended to be racist with that statement. Right. But it is the type of statement that can easily be conceived as racist. Right. And I don't think... So I don't blame people for perceiving it as racist. I don't think it's on people from looking into that and trying to look for the racist angles like we sometimes see in nowadays, like people are just looking for the opportunity. I feel like it's really, really bad scripting. Yeah. I mean, honestly, when you say the whole people like you don't win the world title, you know, make me laugh, you're a clown. He could have done that angle with Hurricane. Like, it's not yeah, necessarily... But it's, a... the, it's the way that Triple H goes about this promo, because if anyone hasn't seen it, it's like he says, people like you, and then he looks Booker T up and down, and then he says, don't get to be world champion. And just yeah. like, it, they frame it so badly, and then it's obviously compounded in later weeks when they talk about somebody with, like, his nappy hair. Right, which so is back, which is back deliberately the racist. You go, oh, fuck, he can't get around that. And again, it just we'll go, we'll talk about it when we actually end up reviewing WrestleMania 19. But it's the idea of I'm totally cool with not totally cool. Obviously, it is offensive, but like cool with all this stuff as long as Booker T wins the World Heavyweight Championship. Because otherwise, Triple H just said that people like him don't go to World Champion. He's there to make people laugh. And then he goes and proves it at WrestleMania 19. Yeah. yeah. I think that I think the issue was, you know how there's that ridiculous thing that oh Tommy Dreamer was gonna mm-hmm. get a December match, but then Shawn Michaels came back. I think here it probably was legitimately, yeah, but we got Sean and we got Nash and we got Goldberg. I just don't think Booker T should have been the mania match. No, probably not, but I think it's just the way this feud goes is that I think it's the way the feud goes and the way the match goes is the thing that leads the bad taste in my mouth. I wouldn't mind if the feud didn't go the way that it went and then have Triple H win. But also, it was due to the fact that I think Booker T was really, really over at this point and that you could have given him something. It doesn't even need to be a long reign. I must feel like it would have been better to split Triple H's reigns up a little bit, maybe. I definitely think that the Reign of Terror reign is only seen so uh, shitty because it was so long. Well, it's a combination of it was so long and the entire thing is WCW. Mm. But so. uh, maybe had you split it up and Booker T gets a win here and drops it at Backlash, you know, maybe you could have done more there. Or even Kevin Nash gets a win at Judgment Day, drops it at, at Blood. You know, something like that. So Booker T later in the night defeated Scott Steiner. So 
that's kind of like passing the torch from one number one contender to the other. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, Chris Jericho defeated Test. Uh, then he threatened to attack Stacey Keebler with a chair. Uh, Shawn Michaels comes out, but Jericho busts him open with the steel chair, and then he challenges him to WrestleMania match. So that's that's how that starts. I, I well, so I always like that, and he says something like, "I'm going to do it on the grandest stage of them all." And uh, Shawn gets him back. I think the week after, where Jericho's walking up the ramp, and uh, super kicks him, and super stick. kicks, and he goes, "I'll see you at WrestleMania, boy." I, I like there are certain lines that stick, and that was one of them because this whole feud was great. Other matches were more just a match for muchness, really. Uh, Trish and Jack Collin defeated Victoria and Jazz, so building towards a triple threat match at WrestleMania. Uh, Christian defeated Jeff Hardy because Jeff Hardy loses all his matches. Uh, even against Christian of all people. Uh, uh well, he he wouldn't be there for long, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, Chief Morley defeated Spike Dudley, meaning that the Dudley boys would stay suspended after recently being suspended by Bischoff. And Kane and RVD defeated Tommy Dreamer and Al Snow in a hardcore tag team match. That sounds like fun. That match would probably be worth watching. So that was what Raw was up to, to get that 4.5. So let's talk about the final edition of the SmackDown journey that we're on, March the 6th, 2003, and how fitting it is that the final journey for Paul Heyman on WWE SmackDown takes place at the Harbour Yard Arena in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Um, oh, what's the name of that arena? The Harbour the Harbor Yard Arena. It's not so much the name of the arena, it's more just the fact that it's in McMahon territory. Yeah, and I, I guess that's a good place to end uh, Paul Heyman journey. So, they show a visual of the steel cage for tonight's main event. You also see that Jamie Noble's standing in the middle of the ring. Poor guy. Well... Both him and Tajiri don't get entrances for what is the night's opener, which is Rey Mysterio versus Jamie Noble versus Tajiri. In a banger of a three-way dance. Yeah, so the winner of this match would get the number one contendership for the Cruiserweight Championship at WrestleMania. So the fact that Mysterio is the only one that got an entrance for this kind of spoils it for you. But it was still, it was a hell of a triple threat match. and Because, like... This is Cruiserweight Wrestling at its best. This is... I know we, we all love Rim Mysterio, the world champion. But this is when weight divisions not only mattered, but were padded out pretty nicely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So this is the first we've seen of Tajiri for a little while. He was in Japan for a while, unfortunately, due to the loss of uh, his child. Which is mm. obviously a sad occasion, sad occasion for him. But... I did not know that. No I, no, I didn't know that either before, just looking back, and that was the reason why he would been off TV for a couple of months. So, But he was back now, back working, and hadn't missed a beat in terms of his in-ring stuff, because he was... Honestly, Jamie Noble was a third wheel in this match. Yeah, but he's he's on the downward swing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's just like he was just there to get beaten up by the other two guys. And that's totally fine. You can't have a triple threat match built around that, but Jamie Noble really did nothing to even give you the impression that he was going to win this match. But, yeah, but he probably 
it wasn't his moment. And I must say, like, he had moments on this journey. Like, oh, he, he was, was very much one of the stars. So, Mysterio hits a seated sent on a noble and covers, but Tajiri breaks out with a dropkick to the face. Um, Tajiri does an, uh, an awesome bridging German suplex to Noble, but Mysterio breaks it and hits a standing moonsault on him. Uh, Mysterio and Tajiri just, then just start slapping each other in the chest for a while. So it's not just all the high-flying cruiserweight shit. They're also striking the hell out of each other as well. Tajiri then hits one of the worst ever standing uh, handspring elbows of his entire career on Noble. Where he just basically just rolls into the ropes. He must have just lost his footing or something. Yeah, I mean, it didn't take away from the match as a whole, but it was fine. And we see Noble doing the um, uh, the bump that I've only ever seen Rey Mysterio take, which is him sliding him out of the bottom rope and landing chest first on the, on the uh, floor. Mysterio is the only person that's ever taken that bump. Oh, well, I, it becomes like a Mysterio signature to the point where like, now he uses it as like a tag team thing where he'll have his partner... You know, throw him out so you can splash on the guy. Mm. It's very weird, but it works for Ray because Ray's little. Um, so Noble gets Tajiri in an electric chair hold, but Tajiri then grabs Mysterio for a superplex Tower of Doom spot. Always a staple of the triple threats. I hate those spots. Like, I never want to see. I want the day to come where those aren't a thing anymore. Uh, Tajiri applies the tarantula to Noble, then he connects with the buzzsaw kick, but Mysterio breaks the pin at the very last second. Uh, Tajiri whips Mysterio into a 619 to Noble, but as Tajiri covers Noble, Mysterio drops the dime on him. Uh, Noble puts his boot on the uh, ropes on the pin to make sure that it doesn't uh, get pinned. Uh, Mysterio hits another 619 to Noble on the apron, who does one of the scariest and most awesome sells possible, basically just flipping out from that backwards to the floor. <laughs> like Noble knew he was getting like just his ass, ass kicked the entire match. Thought, I might as well try and do something memorable on this. He basically slides off the back of his head. Almost down the apron. Really, well, really. See, I like we have a cruiserweight title now, and I like I don't see any of this. No, no, it's uh, it doesn't doesn't feel as exciting or as I don't know. If, it almost feels like it's too sanitized now. I, th- I think, uh, and, and they aren't characters; they're just people. Largely, I wish we could talk more about Ray's. Ascension to the top, but it I think it has to do with that and that everybody wants to be a world champion now instead of just being a really good cruiserweight. So Tajiri then kicks Mysterio out of the air. He tries to suplex him into the ring, but Mysterio flips through into an O'Connor roll, gets the pin. So, yeah, a lot of fun. The fact that you can tell this sort of story and have this much fun in just over five minutes is pretty remarkable. That's how it was back then, man. I, I that's the one thing I'm going to miss the most from this journey. They maximized their time, man. So Hogan and McMahon will both be on the show tonight, as is a match between Chris Benoit and Rhino versus Team Angle. Um, I'm surprised Hogan and McMahon didn't do at least a four. But they, they came in just shy, but still. Uh, we have Los Guerreros versus the FBI team of Chuck Palumbo and Johnny the Bull Stamboli. Uh, battle of stereotypes, am I right? So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we finally have the first version of the Viva La Raza theme music that will follow Eddie for the rest of his career. Yeah, um, this is one of those theme songs that, like, everybody knows. 
It's great. Because I think we're learning a lot now that everybody was a, a fan back then. And it, it's cool to hear it here. It's not as, you know, crisp as obviously it would no, be. No, not yet. It's still but first version. Pretty, pretty cool and pretty iconic. Um, so Charo slaps Palumbo early, baits him outside to be attacked by Eddie, because even though they're on the transition to being baby faces, they still wrestle as heels. Yeah, and which is, but they're getting away with it because they lie, cheat, and steal. So Stamboli tags in straight into an Eddie drop kick. Uh, Plumber then hits a jumping punch to Eddie from the floor with the referee distracted. Uh, Eddie's trying to like scramble to his corner, but Plumber overpowers him, lifting him into a hard Simone drop. So FBI basically just taking over. They do one thing where they switch out bear hugs on Eddie without making a tag. I don't understand these spots what the the no tag spot yeah because typically they follow it up with like oh you see that i clapped you know <laughs> like you heard the tag it's like well if you're gonna make the noise then just complete the tag the team is so irrelevant at this point the fbi that cole confuses one for the other at this point that's so terrible the, so it says the plumbo's got the bear hug when it's actually stamboli ah uh, and nobody correct him uh, i think taz did like, I, I I don't understand why they brought the FBI in to begin with when I look at how they were utilized so early on. It was just like, nah, you know, no. Like, they immediately were like, these guys aren't anything, but we have them, so let's put them on TV. Yeah. So Eddie reverses a pop-up power bomb into Hurricane Rana, makes the hot tag to Charvo, hits a spinning DDT, tornado DDT out of the corner to Stamboli. Um, Palumbo hip tosses Eddie to the floor but goes over the top rope himself Eddie then throws him into the ring post to deal with him uh, Charo throws Nunzio into the ring, beats him up as well um, now then this really gets weird and it wouldn't be really it's actually quite fitting again to end this journey with some really weird camera cuts and editing what so. do you mean it's the, uh, the Kevin Dunn special Callum. so Stamboli catches Charo off the dive and does a fall away slam. But as he lands, Eddie connects with a frog splash. And Eddie lands right on uh, Stamboli's face. <laughs> now, I'm going to say this, and it might catch me a little bit of flack, especially, and I'll caveat with the fact that saying that Eddie Guerrero is one of my favorite wrestlers that ever lived. I think he's awesome. He is fucking sloppy. <laughs> he is. Yeah. He, this isn't the first time he's done a frog splash and landed on a guy's face. So, like, everybody loves the Eddie Guerrero Frog Splash. And, like, there are a few that are really, really good. But for the most part, I was always like, I don't know, there's people who do it better. Like, RBD, I always thought we did the Frog Splash way better. Okay, just look at this. RBD does the Frog Splash better. Montez Ford does a better Frog Splash than Eddie Guerrero did. Yeah. I would say, and again, this might be controversial, Chavo does a better Frog Splash than Eddie does. He might. I don't like that he does it, though, so I try, I try to just, like, block it out of my mind. No, but there is, obviously, there is a few really great frog splashes, like the one that he hits on Brock Lesnar to win the WWE title was a fucking awesome frog splash. Also, the Brock is a nice base. Oh, yeah, absolutely, but it's like you twist in midair though. while doing it. It's great. But, yeah, like... But, but no, the... I, I agree with you. Um, it's weird. Eddie Guerrero... I, which, again, 
Mike had a bit of whack, but I'll pat it by saying Eddie was one of my favorites long before, you know, his passing and long before it became cool to say Eddie Guerrero is my favorite wrestler. I I always thought that his his legacy is very embellished. And I'm not saying that, like, he doesn't, he's not great. He is great. And he was a former WWE champion. But, like, the bulk of his legacy is super embellished. He was a guy that always, I guess, didn't fulfill his initial potential due to the demons that he fought and when he did eventually fight them. He was older, he was wiser ahead, and that's when he became WWE champion. But, mate, you can argue it was too late in his career to get to that point. I don't argue that it was too late, but I think you and I can agree on this one thing. He loses it to Bradshaw, Mm. who at the time was, like, way down the card than he was. Mm. You know, it, it was a very weird run. And I think uh, I think a lot of people romanticize that run in particular and then try to conflate it with, well, look at all these cool things he did before that. They're not all the same. I think that they try to merge them, to use Tony's thing, into like this one great big run. And it's a lot of separate things. No, of course. I mean... It's the same thing that WWE's fallen into a lot of times, not just WWE. And this is a mixture of their own booking and like fans only liking a shiny new thing for a little while. It's like Eddie winning the title and Chris Benoit winning the title at WrestleMania 20. Or, or Eddie retaining and, Eddie, and Benoit winning the world title at WrestleMania. Fucking great, everyone loves it. And then these two, the ratings just fall off a cliff because people aren't actually interested in these two. Right. Like, like the the general, I don't want to say the casual fan because I hate the phrase the casual fan, but the idea that just people who just watch wrestling for the star power, those guys aren't stars. The same thing can be said of um, uh, Kofi Kingston more recently winning the title. So it's a great moment. Him I know, winning, I'll him throw Seth Rollins moment. in there too. Yeah. People loved Seth Rollins until... He gave him Seth Rollins. Mm. I think, like, that's part of that, like, star power thing. You could say what you want about John Cena or Randy Orton or, you know, even Roman Reigns. They they bring an air of importance. Mm. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. But it's just the idea of everyone loves the chase with these guys. And then they just don't, they don't buy into the journey after that. It's like, just as an example, it's like when there's a video game or whatever, like once you get, reach the end of it, you don't want to play like the aftermath. It's like, oh, you beaten, you slayed the dragon in this video game or a D&D quest or whatever you want to call it. You slayed the dragon. You don't go on and then just live a normal life of like just being a, a, a common do-good do um, hero doing a few other little small tasks and stuff like that because people don't care about that side of it. Yeah, it's like... I, I'll be honest, I think it's kind of bullshit that, like, it's almost, it would work better if wrestling was seasonal for what you just mentioned. If you could have that cutoff point and go, and they lived happily ever after, and then come back with a new story, I think it'd be better off. But I think it's unfair when fans say, we want this, and then as soon as they get it, like with an Eddie, you know, it's, oh, maybe I didn't want it that much. But anyway, going on a little bit of a diatribe there, but otherwise, there was a lot of camera cuts and edits, so I assume that some elements of this were completely botched. 
Oh, well, we saw that a lot on this journey. Oh, yeah. But they tried and to say ironically, a lot of them were very matches. Uh, so Los Guerreros win, and um, FBI are now uh, Owen Free since uh, debuting. I'm so glad. Uh, FBI then beat up both Guerreros post-match so no one gets over. <laughs> that's, ba- well, that's, basic- that's basically that's that's WWE booking 101 in like years going forward. It's just like we have the baby face or the heels win, doesn't matter which way. They're just going to get beaten up by the other person post-match anyway, so they both look like losers. And even more WWE going forward. Oh, but Los Guerreros are over because they're fun characters, and pretty soon we're not going to have any other tag team, so they're over. So we see Paul Heyman looking terrified backstage, asking what he did to deserve this. And talking about what Lesnar's going to do to him inside the cage. That's, uh, that's awesome. He screams to um, his agent in the locker room. We've got all the agents in the locker room. We've got Team Angle, got Big Show, got A-Train, all in the locker room together. Um, Cho says that they have his back tonight, but Angle says... Angle seems to back off. He like, says, I don't want to get involved with Lesnar in terms of physical sense. We're going to get through this using my brains instead. He wants to talk to Stephanie from his position as WWE champion and due to their personal history and see if he can get something changed. So that's Angle's proposal. Right. And we cut to uh, Angle and Stamon, Heyman arriving at Stephanie's office. Um, Angle and Stephanie seem like they're pretty cordial with each other, but Heyman wants to take the lead because he's a negotiator. Heyman talks about his respect for Stephanie but and asks for like a small concession. He then screams and begs at her feet to get out of the match. I I love it. It was great, yeah. He's just like just like literally just groveling at her feet, just so terrified and whimpering about having to face Brock. Angle drags him up, tells him to be a man and leaves, and says that he'll handle it from here. Heyman actually just yells in terror as he leaves. Just like us, oh my god, just like all that stuff. Stephanie wishing him good luck, sarcastically. It's, it's so good. I bet she did that when they fired him too. <laughs> um, Angle then changes tact, asking like Stephanie if she remembers Valentine's Day when he gave her that rose, and then took it away because he was whiny about Lesnar getting a match against him. He also tried to kiss her. <laughs> like, well, that's the point where we get onto this, where Angle turns on the charm, talks about their past and how they both had a thing for each other, and he like he removes Stephanie's jacket, like so Stephanie's like. Stephanie seems to be going with it. She unties her hair, but then they get close, and then she says, there's a time and place for everything, but now is the time for business, and backs away. Um, uh, like, you know... What a... What a oh, I'd say it, like, yeah, that's... like, you just... Uh, we've, we've seen... Stephanie's role in this journey has been the most uncomfortable, I think. It's been very fluctuating. She fluctuates from heel and babyface quite often during this journey. Which, sadly, because it's 2003, means she fluctuates from strong, powerful businesswoman to slut. <laughs> like, it's just terrible. Well, to, be, like, to be fair, I like this one because it plays on the history that they two have together, but Stephanie realises that Angle's using her and she doesn't fall for it. It's the right way to, to approach it. Fair enough. Like, she, she plays with him, she toys with that side of things, and then Angle's like... like Denied. That's like that's great. Stephanie comes across a strong one in that front. Says the I, angle. Oh, good. I know. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I said Stephanie says the angle needs to focus on his future and says that his WWE title match with Lesnar at WrestleMania might actually be a rematch. Um, because she gets angry at Angle for insulting her intelligence, coming on to her in that way. 
It says if Lesnar beats Heyman in the steel cage later in the evening, he will have to defend his title against Brock Lesnar next week on SmackDown. Yeah, well, we can confirm, since we won't be doing it, that Brock Lesnar does indeed fight an angle for the WWE Championship match next week. Yeah. So we can talk a little bit about that because a lot of people, especially in the Observer and stuff like that, or Meltzer was positing the idea because of Angle's injuries that they thought that that match was going to actually be where Brock Lesnar becomes WWE champion and they would have to just scramble for something to do at WrestleMania instead. Well, I didn't. Was it you that told me that? It, oh, they were thinking about Benoit and Lesnar? Uh, Heyman wanted to do that as a feud at some point. That would have been. I mean, they do. And it's good. They have a match on SmackDown later in the year. It's a very good match. It would have to... You'd have to run it back with Taker. It would have to be like a really gross triple threat. Like, Big Show, Taker, Lesnar. And that's just not... Like, that's and not fair. And if you did that, it means the streak wouldn't happen. Because they'd have Lesnar retain that. Well, you don't know that. I doubt they would have had Undertaker win the title against Lesnar a couple of weeks after Lesnar. They would have done it just to keep the streak intact. I mean, what I would have done in that situation, like it's like bizarre. Well, if you have big show, if you have big show, take the pen to take a real I guess so. That would be like the weakest excuse ever, really. But I would have given it in this sort of situation where they have so many injuries and so it's a bit of an issue. I would say go with find something else for Austin to do and give it to Rock. Do Rock and Brock too. I I. I do that. Or, or. What? Rock, Ang- Austin. Angle, Angle, uh, not Angle. Austin Lesnar, WrestleMania, WWE title sounds a lot better than Austin Lesnar on an episode of Raw. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you could do, if you wanted to be super cr- crazy, we would just go Austin Rock Lesnar. That, that's a match. That, see, if you really needed to get out of there, I would have done this match. Austin Rock Lesnar's the WWE title sounds like where you need to go. So let's talk about some more cruiserweight action. This time with the cruiserweight championship on the line as Matt Hardy defends against former champion Billy Kidman. I love Billy Kidman. I'm gonna miss him. So uh, Matt enjoys looking at pictures in Playboy and considers himself a sex symbol. I'm surprised they didn't, you know, say Matt enjoys looking the at articles. pictures in Playboy. Is looking forward to Tori Wilson. And then, you know, like, and then considers himself a sex symbol. Yeah. So also, Matt, I really want you to reconsider that statement and your well wishes to Edge from the week prior. Um, so Kidman has a uh, early, early head scissors and a drop kick. Uh, Hardy rolls through a sunset flip, catapults Kidman out of the ring. Kidman does his usual spot where he just basically doesn't touch the ropes and just falls straight to the floor because he's crazy and no one... Like, just the idea that he does some of these really like hard bumps and no one cares about Billy Kidman. Yeah. Just don't do it. Uh, but Save Billy Kidman, uh, I like Billy Kidman. I don't know. No, I, I, I like Billy Kidman, but it's just because like, he does these crazy dives and bumps and stuff like that and just people don't give a fuck about him. Just like, just do less. No one's going to change. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Uh, Hardy has got wrench suplex for two. Kidman hits an Inzaguri to escape a stretch by Hardy. Hardy then tries to splash in the corner but ends up laying on the top rope. Kidman then kicks him from the mat a couple of times. 
uh, leading Hardy to be crouched on the top rope. And Kidman does the old uh, uh, hiking the ropes up and down while Hardy's crouched on there. So I miss those dumb spots. Those spots are so dumb. Mm. But they're like, they're tried and true, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's like it's a bit of harmless fun in the match. Uh, Kimmon hits a BK bomb for two. Uh, Kimmon then mocks Hardy with his middle rope leg drop. Uh, he hits a running bulldog, goes up for the shooting star press, but Moore pulls Hardy out of the ring, so Kimmon then dives onto both of them on the floor. Uh, Kidman chases Moore into the ring where Hardy hits a side effect, and I really thought he was going to win the match with the side effect, but it was only two. I, I ah. want to see a match where Hardy wins the match with the side effect. It's, it's a forever signature. Uh, Hardy then goes to the twist of fate. Kidman blocks it. Hardy then reverses Kidman, throwing him, sending him into more on the aprons, so and more goes tumbling. Kidman stumbles backwards into a twist of fate, and Hardy retains the Cruiserweight Championship. Good shit. Yeah, decent I match. like Matt Hardy. I like Billy Kidman. You know, like, I think Billy Kidman would have been very, very much talked about had he existed in today's era. So throughout the night, they're showing flashbacks of Lesnar and Heyman's history, both the good and the bad. So we won't cover all those in detail, but essentially they show the Brock Lesnar winning the title with SummerSlam, him beating The Undertaker in Hell in a Cell, the Survivor Series screw job, the, um, the uh, Royal Rumble and the stuff leading up to that, Kurt Angle turning and joining uh, Paul Heyman, all of that stuff. Yeah, so it's a, it's a good build up for people. Like if you've tuned in and you don't know why this is the main event or why you should be excited about it, like this gives it all of it in very in a very concise way. Yeah, and we've never once said that uh, WWE had bad production. No. Um. So they replay Stephanie's uh, Playboy announcement from last week, and then they show a video package of Tori's photo shoot in LA. Uh, obviously yeah. uh, clothed or as clothed as well mostly clothed <laughs> I guess that's the argument so you don't let, let's put it this way you're not going to see any nips on Thursday nights yeah no especially not on network television on Thursday nights yeah. so Tori says that it's always been a dream of hers I assume that she was given that line <laughs> uh, well uh, I, I would imagine so nobody I shouldn't say nobody, but no, nobody's dream should be a bit blue, eh? And uh, one of the photographers say they expect to uh, sell out the issue. Um, it's announced that the cover will be revealed next week on SmackDown. Then we see a, a little fun segment with uh, Nidia being interviewed by Josh Matthews, who then introduces footage of Nidia at the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> I like this. So Nidia's stopped by security at the mansion. She introduces herself, says that she has something to say or see um, Mr. Hefner. Uh, one of the security calls her Nadine. <laughs> Clearly not a SmackDown fan. So good. Uh, Nidia says that she wants Hefner to watch Girls Gone Wild on Tuesday because she's planning on giving him two reasons why she should be on the cover of Playboy, Playboy while highlighting her chest, obviously, before she's yes. escorted away. Um, I like that we're plugging Playboy and Girls Gone Wild on WWE. Are you? Uh, we're, no, we're just, it's just such a weird thing that, like, this was the time. So Nidia then shows off her body to Josh Matthews and says the people want to see her, what's underneath her clothes. 
Uh, Nidia then challenges Tori to a body contest at Girls Gone Wild. Well, they'll decide who looks better naked. We can know they didn't get naked. Come on. Like, so she, she on. then flashes Josh and leaves. Okay, look. Yes. This is wrong, but it's also wrong that they baited switched and all that. Well, that's the thing. It's just the idea of they're now promoting a preview by saying that we will see Tori or Nidia or both naked on the show. And spoiler alert, neither of them Nobody get naked, naked on the show. <laughs> uh... because, and that's just, again, it's just this, this history of WWE. Like, they want to be, quote-unquote, raunchy at this point in time with the bikini contest and stuff like that, and that's what they're using the women for. But they never go where they say they're going to go. It's, it's like um, it's like anything. It's like saying that, let's say with this um, AEW show coming up, if they say they're going to have an exploding barbed wire death match, and it's just like one pole of barbed wire standing in the middle of the ring, and then a little limpet mine goes off on the outside. <laughs> it's like, that's not what you advertise. And if you do that, I'd be pissed about it. Right. It's just, don't advertise nudity. The whole segment is weird. Like, Tori... Any woman in WWE, just like any man in WWE, their goal should have been the women's title. Even if Tori can't really wrestle, the goal should have been women's title. The SmackDown women have been all about their tits for the entire course of his journey. We saw a man have sex until he died. Like, you know, like, what? Man, that's what they're there for. Women's titles so, for the It's so for wrong. It's so wrong. So let's talk about what will end up being my least favorite segment on this show, which is Hulk Hogan talks to Jimmy Corderas backstage, telling him to let Vince know that he'll be in the rings. They find out who the coward really is. Uh, we have another really, really long Hulk Hogan segment where he's basically the crowd gives him a long ovation and says that he's done playing games with Vince and he's not going anywhere. Hogan says their issues go back longer than 20 years and only can be settled one way. So he calls Vince out to the ring. Uh, Vince comes out, he only stays on stage, the crowd starts trying asshole at him, Vince says, the asshole's the one in the ring. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's good. So then there's just this really, really long back and forth between the two of them in bits and pieces. Uh, Vince says Hogan isn't a man, he's a shell of a man. And basically what this is typified by is basically McMahon starts saying something and Hogan says, shut the hell up, brother, and then starts talking. <laughs> that's well, basically this entire promo segment there you go so Hogan cuts him off says McMahon is delusional he, this is the one uh, if you think I was the right gay guy <laughs> like, yeah I know but it's just that Hogan his voice goes really early on in this promo so he's really croaky by the end of it he's not used to yelling brother yeah, yeah it's just the idea that like oh, they, they talk about how the fact it's not time for catchphrase and stuff like that like, they try, this is serious brother but he can't stop saying brother during it for fuck's sake just like, who he is a person though i know but it's so weird it's just like it's <laughs> like oh yeah this is not about gimmicks it's not about me being like the um all this uh what you're gonna do brother and stuff like that but it's like, just like brother didn't brother... become part of his gimmick until he was older because he's from a time where everybody was just like like tell you something brother you know brother brother like so like, Hogan cuts him off, says that McMahon is delusional if he believes that he created Hulkamania. He says that Hulkamania thrived in spite of Vince McMahon, which I guess if you look at today's booking might actually be correct. 
See, Hulk Hogan's the one guy who cannot say that. Stop yeah, no, Hulk, this maybe. Oh, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, sure. Hulk Hogan, no. Well, that's that's the reason why I hate this promo segment so much. It, well, there's two reasons. One, it goes on way too long. And second of all, it's because they're both just slinging bullshit at each other. Like, we, as, as someone who's basically just looked into a lot of, like, stories of revolving around this, basically, I could probably say about 75% of what they say during this promo segment is completely untrue. But they're trying to um... forge a narrative. So, basically, it talks about the idea that Vince um, says, Hogan says it makes Vince sick that he was the person who put WWE on the map. Wrong, Bruno San Martino. Uh, <laughs> it depends how you want to look at it. He was the guy that made it, like, nationalised or whatever you want to call it, but says that, um, like, the idea that Vince, everything that Vince owned is due to Hulkamania. And a lot of it is due to Hulkamania. A lot of it is due to the Attitude Era. Again, slightly um, contextualising all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, the man says anybody could play the role of Hulk Hogan. Wrong. Well, <laughs> no, I, Hogan. He, no, here's sorry, the disconnect. Well, here's yeah, the Hulk. disconnect. They wanted to do the evil Vince McMahon character with the good guy Hulk Hogan character. Those, those, they don't match up. No, but it's just the idea that anyone can play the role of Hulk Hogan. You love, love or hate the guy. Nobody is Hulk Hogan like Hulk Hogan, and nobody could be Hulk Hogan like Hulk Hogan. Right. Just like that, that, that is just him. That's why it thrives so well. But uh, Hogan replies that everyone Vince gave the ball to, no one ran as fast or as hard as he did. Wrong. Rock and Steve Austin. Yeah. Uh, he challenges Vince to prove he's a man by getting in the ring with him tonight, and his voice is now really getting croaky. Uh, Vince says there's no chance to tell of that happening. He says that he doesn't hate Hulkamania, but he hates Hogan. Uh, Vince says he created Hogan, and then Hogan abandoned him to work for Ted Turner and compete against him. Uh, then he talks about how Hogan testified against Vince for the federal government in the in steroids trial. trial. I love that line. It's completely false. Hogan did not testify against Vince Man. Testified on the behalf of the state government, but he did not. None of his testimony uh, put Vincent Man in a negative light. Like the only person that the only testimonies that really put Vince in a negative light. One of them was Roddy Piper, who talks about how. Uh, this doctor that was being involved with this whole steroid scandal was would help uh, the wrestlers get their candy, quote unquote. Yeah, which was the steroids side of it. I mean, we I could go on for ages about the steroids trial and stuff like that, but I'm not going to because it's it's not particularly interesting. And Vince was acquitted of all charges anyway, so there's not much point really. Um, the only thing that the steroid scandal proved to me is that like there's just some people who want wrestling to suffer. They just don't like it. Well, actually, no. What that proved to me is um, just how how difficult it is to put a rich person in jail. Well, because but like they went after the wrong things. Yeah, they did. Well, yeah, but um, there's also again, I don't want to, again go into too much detail about it, but it's just the there is rumor and speculation about the idea that the doctor who was involved in it was tipped off before he was raided. And so he destroyed anything that was associated that could associate them and Vince. Do you think that they would have had a better chance at going for the female referee and the sex stuff instead of the I mean, steroids? It's, it's a weird thing. It's like maybe Vince just can't be caught with this sort of stuff. I, I mean, there's, I there's something about Vince that he means he can't get caught for any of this. Uh, I, don't I, I don't know. I think that I mean, there's. I mean, I don't. I don't want to put the stuff out there because I don't want to 
indict ourselves because right, we have to right. say we have to say for for the record and everything else, Vincent Mann was acquitted of all charges. He was found he was found not guilty in front of a, a jury of his peers. So so absolutely, I, I just I think it's it's just weird to me that like they I I don't know I just feel like you always hear about that it seems like there should be more to it but at the end of the day it just seems like they weren't able to come up with anything and maybe that's because you know Vince was able to game the system maybe it is what it is but either way Vince was acquitted and has been able to make it through the rest of his life. So Hogan responds saying if it wasn't him, that man would still be rotten in prisons today, and he makes some sort of reference to the fact he'd probably be getting fucked in prison as well. Yeah. At the yeah. time. Uh, the man says he, his family gave Hogan his name and his big break. Wrong. I would, I would part if somebody would mention the name Vern Gagne. Exactly. Uh, right. Plucks him out of a small town in Minnesota and made him a household name. Oh, God. That's not... Actually, McLaren's family did. They gave that. him the name Hogan. Yeah, Vince Sr. gave him the name Hogan. But Vern Gunny gave him his big break. Yeah. Because the AWA, people forget, was a really big deal at one point. And Hogan was its biggest star for a while. I'm not saying Hogan didn't go into greater heights when he joined WWF, but he certainly didn't start being a name in WWF. So he um, then he uh, says that he plucked him from a small town in Minnesota. I made him a household there name, part is. of the fabric, fabric of Americana. <laughs> there it is. Completely wrong. Uh, but man says they won't have a match, but they will have a fight. The f- he says the first real fight Hogan's ever had. Because I love wrestling's that. fake. Like, there's some good lines here from yeah, but, Vince. Yeah, but it's something like wrestling's fake. That's the reason why he's doing that. That, that seems like that's such, a, that's such a line that people get angry at people in AEW for saying. So, oh, that's... You're just saying that all other wrestling isn't real, so he's going to have a real fight and WrestleMania instead. I guess so. It's, it's what I don't like about it. I mean, it's a good line, but it just like it just makes him feel like basically the entire rest of his career is just being fake play wrestling, which it has. But this is which, also going to be fake. Play uh, and at the time, that was like cool verbiage and shit, whatever. Like, ah, I don't know. So he says that he wants that fight to take place at WrestleMania 19. Uh, Vince says that when Hogan loses, he wants this written into the contract of the match that he wants Hogan's uh, career to be on the line. So if he loses, he cannot wrestle ever again. I'm pretty sure. I would have liked it. It's like I said, uh, to me, the issue is you can't do the evil Vince McMahon with Hulk Hogan because they were partners, legitimately. You know, evil Vince McMahon worked with with Brett because he fucked Brett. Evil Vince McMahon works with Austin because he was exposed to have screwed Brett. When he fought Austin. So, uh, Hogan gladly accepts, as he's been waiting for this for his whole life, or at least since his 30s, I imagine. <laughs> his whole life. Uh, they cut each other off from doing any of their catchphrases, but Hogan says that man had better start training. He better start eating his vitamins and saying his goddamn prayers. Um, so, yeah, there's just this is how I described it in my notes. This went on way too long of two per- uh, perennial liars throwing shit at each other. Yeah, and you're right. Um, Cole then screams, as if they couldn't get any worse, Michael Cole, the absolute worst of Michael Cole, who I haven't really buried at all during the series because he's actually pretty good when it's just him and Taz. But then he has to scream down the microphone, uh, these are the two biggest names in sports entertainment history, the people that put sports entertainment on the map. It's like, 
that word, sport, those words, sports entertainment. I mean, look at who's involved. You gotta, it's, it's, it's expected. I know, but it's just such bullshit. <laughs> and these two are, these two are two of the biggest names in wrestling history. Don't get me anything wrong with that sort of thing. But just, just the fact they don't even say wrestling, sports entertainment. And I guess these two are the biggest names in sports entertainment history because sports entertainment is McMahon's thing. Right. But anyway, we can get, we can move past that now. I'll talk about another thing which wasn't particularly good. Uh, um, see footage earlier from the night where Nathan Jones is like hip tossing jabronis while Undertaker's coaching him. Uh, I hate this. I I hate everything about it. So Jones thanks Taker for holding up on his promise to train him once he got out of prison. I don't know why Taker was in Australia saying that he would why? help him out. Well, was that, like, there goes the global warning to it. Or was it just like him just sitting at the other side of a glass, like the plexiglass thing, saying, "Oh, uh, I've been training." You should cut guy. that promo. Uh, Tag says that the ring is like a prison cell, as he needs to put in time and make sacrifices to make it there. Like, okay. Uh, uh, Tiger shows Jones how to do a tie-up headlock and shoulder tackle. Just like, okay, if this guy doesn't know how to do any of that stuff yet, then you're in real trouble. Yeah, well, he was a WWE champion. No, not uh, Tiger's fine doing that. It's just a case of like that he's teaching Nathan Jones. Who's going to be on weekly TV? How to do a fucking shoulder tackle? Just like, okay, this guy isn't ready for TV then if he can't do a shoulder tackle. Because Joe Jones does it with a bigger dude. He withstands two shoulder tackles. Taker's like screaming at Jones to knock this guy down. So T- Jones just high kicks him in the face, and then chokes him on the mat until Taker pulls him off. And then Taker congratulates him for this near murder by saying that it shows a lot of intensity, because you know. He's a real man. He might as well put a knife to the guy's throat. That'd be a real man. Might as well. <laughs> Fucking hate this. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the worst. The more I learn about the Undertaker, the more I don't like him. That's why I stick to the character, baby. Because I not this character. I though. don't want to dislike the Undertaker. Yeah, not this character though. Not this character. No, the dead man. <laughs> I mean, this character is so bad it's infecting other people because he's it's now his match Undertaker versus A Train. And A-Train comes out wearing a white sheet in a beanie. Because you got to be... You, he's a thug. <laughs> so, like, Taker beats up A-Train in the corner. He scoops him up, barely drives him into the corner, which then causes A-Train to fall on the back of his fucking head. Like, he just scoops him up. He can't lift him up onto his shoulder properly. He just runs into the corner. A-Train just drops a couple of feet onto the back of his head. Just like, this guy's just been training another wrestler, and he just almost broke this guy's neck. And now Albert turns wrestlers. Yeah, I know. It's just like, of all, it's amazing. It's just just amazing that we're heading towards this supposed tag team match Undertaker and Nathan Jones versus A Train and Big Shot WrestleMania. It says something when the best, the the safest and most competent worker of the four of them at this point is A Train. I don't know why The Undertaker decided to work all of a sudden in 2006. But like, 2006, maybe it was Kali. Maybe <laughs> he did the Kali shit. He was just like, you know what? I I just want to wrestle. It was that match with Angle from No Way Out. Yeah, maybe that too. That's what it's like. It, it's it's a ju- it's a drastic fucking change. Mm. So like, show pulls Taker out of the ring off the cover, which leads to no repercussions from the referee. Uh. A-Train hits a power slam for two. Uh, Taker picks the leg of A-Train, starts attacking it, but then Show distracts him again, and this allows A-Train to clothesline him over the top rope. 
Jones is then starting distracting the referee, so Show can beat up Taker and drive him into the ring post. Like literally, Jones has the referee distracted for about two minutes, and it's his guy being attacked. Stupid. So Show continues to interfere during this match due to Jones's unhelpful distractions. Uh, Taker hits a flying clothesline on A Train, then he hits Old School. Um, another big show distraction leads to the derailleur, but A Train then makes then A Train. So he hits the derailleur. What does A-Train usually do when he hits the derailleur? Well, typically it's the backbreaker and he's got the bicycle kick. Well, no, what he typically does on, after de- derailleur, before that, obviously, is that he sits in position and he covers the guy from the sitting oh, yeah. position. So what he does, for no reason whatsoever, except for really shitty match structuring, is that he makes... He gets out of the sitting position so he can make a really weird, deliberate cover on uh, The Undertaker where his arm is caught between Undertaker's legs just so Undertaker can go straight into a triangle choke. Yeah, okay, yeah, like, I don't, I, I never like that shit. Like, um... It's so obvious. It, it's it's the Rey Mysterio stuff with the 619. Like, nobody does that, where they put their head between the middle rope. Yeah, just you know, like, it's, it's just like... All, every single time Adrian hits that derailleur, he covers them in the exact same way, which is him sitting in place, putting his hands on their chest. That's every time he's made that cover. For, for one match, for no reason whatsoever, he changes how he pins the guy, and that's only so Undertaker can put him in a triangle choke. It's fucking bullshit. I agree. You know, it's... What are you going to do? He's, it's what we've come to expect from the Undertaker... And honestly, outside of Vengeance, this has been the worst Undertaker ever. Um, so Show then gets in again, and while well, the referee is dealing with Jones again, and he drops an elbow drop on Taker. Uh, Jones then throws the referee away and charges like Show into the corner. Uh, him and Taker beat Show up in the corner, then drop him with a double sh- shoulder block. So after all that interference from the Big Show throughout this match, this match ends in a DQ to favour the A-Train. Ridiculous. Yeah, this this was one of the worst matches on this entire journey for me. I think, like I said, this is the worst Undertaker we will ever cover. Because uh, even with... 2001, Undertaker had a little bit more to work with. This Undertaker is just the worst. So we see um, the cutback stage and show Stephanie's leading Big Show and A-Train out of the building, saying that they need to leave for their own safety, so they won't interfere in the uh, Paul Heyman Brock Lesnar match. So that's good. It explains it well. Yeah. You know, uh, it's it's a wonder that they never s- split them again. I guess because Brock never wanted to cut another promo in his life. But they did the split well, and Heyman knew exactly how to be a punk bitch for Brock Lesnar. So after that absolute disaster of a match between Undertaker and A-Trade, we get to end, at least like in terms of a quote-unquote real match for this series, we get to end it on a really high note. Yeah, end it on something great, which is Team Angle versus Chris Benoit and Rhino. How good is Shelton Benjamin? How good is everyone in this match? I mean, everybody in this match is great, but like Shelton always sticks out to me. Rhino, I always felt like they could have done something more with. Charlie Haas is very Chad Gable to me. Like, he's great. And they could have done more with him. You know? They, and they just never did. You know what I first appreciated about this match before it even got started? 
Ben White What's and that? Rhino are already wearing matching gear. Well, yes, because back then people used to care about shit like that. Yeah. So we have some map wrestling early on from like Benjamin and uh, Benoit. Um, Rhino and Haas get involved at some point. Rhino hits a belly to back suplex on Haas. Um, Benoit then gets a Northern Light suplex on Haas for two. He applies the crossface on Benjamin, but Haas tagged him blindly, breaks it up. Uh, Haas hits a power slam at one point. They do a double down off a clothesline. We get a first hot tag of the match, which is Rhino making the hot tag and dropping everybody, including hitting a broski boot on the uh, Haas, I believe. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, and then he hits a uh, belly to back suplex. Um, Austin distracts Rhino. Benjamin hits a super kick, gets a two count for it. The match goes uh, through a commercial break. We're back with at Team Angle still in control with Rhinos trying to fight back against them. Uh, this is one of my favorite spots in the entire match. Uh, Team Angle goes for their leapfrog spot, but Benjamin leaps all the way over the top rope to hit Rhino on the back of the neck because Rhino has an injured neck for instead of doing the regular leapfrog spot. This, this is the complete matters. fucking opposite of the Undertaker and A-Train spot from that last match, because this is something that makes sense and is fucking cool. Logic, uh, logic is awesome. Um, so they work over Rhino's neck. Benjamin does a neck breaker across his knee. Uh, Rhino eventually breaks this assault with a spine buster. Benoit makes a great hot tag, because when Benoit makes a hot tag, it means that everyone's flying all over the place with suplexes. I, it's shitty because... I know. We, we, um, we, we'll say it. Yeah, we always say it. We can't. I, I want to be able to praise this fucking guy. He's so he's so good in the ring. Yeah, so ah. he hits the triple German suplex on Charlie Haas. Hits the diving headbutt, but Benjamin breaks it up. Uh, Benjamin whips Rhino into the barricade, while Haas uh, like beautifully blocks Benoit's crossface attempt with a drop toe hold, which I don't think I've ever seen before. Like he goes into crossface, immediately transitions into a drop toe hold. It was awesome. Then he gets him into position for the Huss of Pain. Uh, Rhino breaks it up. He gores Shelton Benjamin. Huss throws Rhino out of the ring, but then he's caught in the crossface. Eventually has to tap out. Fucking awesome match. Great match. Yeah, it's, it was it was really nice to end it on that note. In terms of like the actual, obviously we have another quote unquote match, but it's more like an extended angle that match. Whereas like this in terms of, like just being a match, this is the perfect way to end it. Right. Um, looking towards the future, we see John Cena walking again using a cane. He cuts another rap on Lesnar. He has a King of Clubs card hanging on the top of his yellow bandana for a very good reason. Uh, but this promo, again, is just why Cena was going to be a star. Well, yeah, because as we now know, John Cena was always going to be a big thing. And it's just another great exhibition of what he was going to be you know in about about six months because he's gonna do some cool stuff in 2003 13 uh so for then the uh final time i'll kick it i'll pick out some uh choice quotes from his rap so i'll take you down brock at any and all costs i'm mega hard you're microsoft gross that's a little bit that's a little corny but i'll, I'll allow it uh i'm a heavy hitter when i stop i don't back off I'm the king around here. You're just another jack off, and then and then he shows the jack of clubs rather than the king of clubs that he has on his uh, bandana. That was nice, prop comedy. And uh, um, yeah, just keep going. Oh yeah. So you've seen me before, Brock. I, don't think, I thought people couldn't see you. That was the point. Anyway, this is like, uh, you've seen me before, Brock, but never intense. I'll fill you full of holes like a chain link fence, and he grabs the fence that's right next to him. So that's kind of like the last like really good line. 
but yeah, this was this was great. I like I like this. I wish Cena had a presence at WrestleMania, but yeah. Then we have again. This is hilarious to me. A tale of the tape for Lesnar versus Heyman. Why do they not do more tale of the tape stuff? This is great. Well, because I th- think when they try to, they just they pad it out with things like. Uh, John Cena went to the, uh, what was it, the West the Westbury Freestyle Champion. Yeah, like, what, what is that? Well, no, this is great because Heyman's career highlights are that he was the, he's the agent of three consecutive WWE champions. He's the agent of the WWE Tag Team Champions, and he's a former owner of ECW. So that's his. <laughs> but the funniest part about this teletype is that his finishing move was none. Kiwaha. <laughs> Can they pick like the he moved from like a um was he like No Mercy or something like that or some or some video guy? You know he's never been uh, a thing. He's never been in a game. Never been a playable character. Ne- never been a playable character in a game. Oh, that's a that's a shame. I'd like to see what his finisher is. I assume it'd be some sort of splash. Oh, um, what was I gonna say to you? Uh, just uh... um yeah, they could have done something funny. Like I said. A bounce check or something, you know, like <laughs> they could have gotten away with it. Um, so Heyman's talking backstage with Angle, saying he can't win this match. Angle grabs him by the jacket and says, "What's at stake if Heyman loses?" So Huss and Benjamin they come in, they're angry at each other for losing. Angle pulls them in and says, "True champions get through adversity." And good advice. Yep. Angle then grabs Heyman and says, "He win because they're a team, and not even Brock Lesnar can stand up to the four of them." Except there, except there's a cage though. Exactly. Um, I like that. I like this part as well. Just before this, before the uh, main event, they show footage of uh, SmackDown's tour of South Africa. So um, they, they did uh, three nights in South Africa. The SmackDown crew. Just a nice little like video package saying like just showing the journey and stuff like that. I thought that was like just a little a cool nice touch. Yeah, they used to do like I know during the I think it was the oh four seeing a Booker T thing, they actually, like, had a match, an important match. They used to actually go places and do things as opposed to just going, isn't it so cool that you're, you know, that you're watching these WWE superstars live? These these things just actually mean something. I mean, they go cool places. They go to Saudi Arabia every year. Well, that that's true. That's the best we've got. So we're in final match of the journey. Brock Lesnar versus Paul Heyman. It's actually really fitting that the final match of this entire journey involves Paul Heyman. Yeah, and if nothing else, Brock Lesnar is the top star on SmackDown. You know, Brock Lesnar was really made throughout this journey. So this is kind of like the perfect match to end the journey. And it is what you would expect. <laughs> so this steel cage has a door in the center of the ring ropes. like In, in the center of the, or one of the ring aprons rather than actually in the corner like it usually is. So that was unique. Uh, maybe something they were trying. I don't think we've ever seen that again. No, yeah, it's it's a little odd. It's, it reminds me of the um the cage or the Hell in a Cell matches in Just Bring It. Right, because you... it's like literally just in the middle of the thing, and you got to break through it. Yeah. Um. So H- Heyman's accompanied by all of Team Angle. Uh, Angle starts scaling the cage early on, but Lesnar goes after him. He's attacked from behind by Huss and Benjamin. Um, they throw Lesnar into the cage repeatedly. They hit a double flapjack on him. Uh, Benjamin, they set up for the um, 
German suplex superkick combination, but Benjamin accidentally hits Haas. Lesnar then starts just destroying everybody, throwing them around the cage in response. Uh, Taz notes that hey, Lesnar looks home inside a cage. I like that. Because he's so then, a killer. Well, more than that, he then spends a lot of his career post oh, yeah, the WWE inside a cage. That's good. That's good. I, I forgot about that. It works well at the time, and then you can look back at it as well and just be, oh, that's a nice little, nice yeah. little uh, nugget there. Uh, he throws both of them through the door to the floor. Uh, Heyman is then in the ring. On he's actually he's on the floor still. He uh, tries to apologize to Lesnar. He's grabbed, uh, but Angle attacks them from behind. Uh, Lesnar reverses him, throws him into the cage. Angle's busted open. Heyman is now in the ring. The match officially starts. Uh, then they do. I think this is a lot of camera cutting and editing as well because Lesnar gets Heyman up for the F5, but Angle's climbing the ring. And I think that they do a lot of camera cuts from showing Lesnar and Heyman and then showing Angle climbing, but they never show them both in the same frame. Which makes you feel like, okay, it took a long time for Angle to actually climb up over the top into the ring. And and in the meantime, Lesnar's just holding Heyman in place for ages rather than just hitting him with the move. It's it's so good, though. Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar's a great entertainer. I know. Even though... He seems like such a fighter. He's a great entertainer. I know. Unlike the um, unlike the um segment earlier, where the editing made it look really shitty, I think the uh, camera editing here made this look really good. So kudos for them for that. So uh, he trips up Lesnar. So Heyman's safe for a couple more minutes. Um. So angle slam to Lesnar, but then Lesnar kicks out of Heyman's pin. So Heyman has a near fall over Lesnar. <laughs> well. He he can say something that probably not a lot of uh, Hall of Famers can. So as Angle applies the ankle lock, Lesnar tries to escape. Oh, not not Lesnar. Uh, so Angle applies the ankle lock to Lesnar, and Heyman tries to escape. Uh, Lesnar is able to grab him and pull him all the way back while still being stuck in the submission. Angle continues to assault Lesnar as Heyman is now trying to climb over the top. Lesnar fights back. He sends Angle flying. He gets grabs Heyman as he reaches the top. I was actually super impressed that Heyman managed to climb all the way to the top of the cage. Yeah. So I good on him for that. I, if you're going to have one athletic feat in your life, you better make it look good. And then he drags him back down. He pummels into the mat. Lesnar gets Heyman up again. He boots Angle to the floor. He finally delivers that elusive F5 to Heyman, who takes it, who sells it really well. Yeah, he takes it well. Uh, Lesnar wins. He will face Kurt Angle for the WWE Championship next week. And so, yeah, it was an angle rather than a match, really, but it was very, very entertaining. I think it's one of the best pieces of business Paul Heyman's ever done. I thought he was very good in the punk stuff. I think the punk stuff was ruined because the people helping in that case weren't as impactful as Kurt Angle and Team Angle. Yeah, it's it's not the same to have like Ryback and Curtis Axel. Um, but Paul Heyman's very good and it's a fitting end of the journey because he just got basically decimated yeah it's the um, yep that's the end of Heyman both on TV and behind the scenes for a long time so yeah yeah but uh, it was was a solid wrestling heavy show there there were the down points I think the promo segment with Hogan and McMahon went on too long and the Undertaker A-Train match was a complete train wreck not in the A-train way, but like, just an well, actual train wreck. Almost. Yeah. But um, 
but yeah, there was some good wrestling. The cruiserweight triple threat match early on was great. The cruiserweight uh, singles match was good. The main, the quote unquote main event wrestling match, as it were, between uh, Team Angle and Benoit and Rhino was really great. And the main event angle was a lot of fun as well. And at the end of the day, I think this is the perfect end to the journey. It's great wrestling, good angles, Kurt Angles, still just, you know, a, a top-notch wrestling show. So that's it. That is the final episode. Weird about of, it. Yeah, this is the final episode of SmackDown that we will review on this journey. It doesn't mean it's the it doesn't mean it's the end. It's not end the end of the journey, but it, it is like the end of the main part of the journey. Yeah, it's I mean, it means that we're never gonna be sitting down and watching like oh I mean, obviously we might do it in our spare time and stuff like that, but we'll never be reviewing another episode of SmackDown from two thousand and three unless of course you want us to do that for the Patreon Pick Your Poison thing at the $50 tier, then you can get us to watch any episode of SmackDown. You I mean, if you want us to do Paul Heyman coming back and then quitting again at 2004, it's there. You just got to donate to that Patreon. Exactly. But um, but yeah, for now, at the very least, this will be the last thing we see from 2003 SmackDown, as it were. It's not the end of the journey yet. So you still have a little bit of time because next week, or it will be next week or sometime, very soon down the road, maybe a week, two weeks, however we decide to uh, position that out just for the ease of both of our schedules. Uh, we will be doing like a special review episode where we just go through what our lessons were from this series, what our thoughts were about the entire journey from start to finish, uh, our favourite wrestlers, our favourite matches, our favourite moments from the entire thing and the stuff. I that we... If you want to spoil something right now, Callum's favourite match was that one we just covered with the big show and uh, the big... You're gonna take her in a train. Absolutely, of course it was, and uh, yeah, just and well, also fittingly enough, you talk about the stuff that we didn't like throughout the journey, what stuff that we, what stuff that we really liked about Heyman's tenure, what stuff that we didn't like as much. Just go go through that. May spend like an hour or so discussing that. And that'll be like the real close of the series, and then of course we will be doing in some form or fashion a review of WrestleMania 19 or a watch along or something of that ilk. Because uh, at the end of the day. One, that's what this whole journey was leading to. And two, it's a damn good WrestleMania. Absolutely. We'll be getting Tony involved in that because it's one that he hasn't seen from start to finish. And yeah, so that'll be the best way, possible way to end it. We don't know when that will end up being recorded or uh, whether we'll do it live or anything to that extent. But um, we, we don't know when that one's going to be, but we'll figure it out and let you know ahead of time. But yeah, for now, this is the end of the journey. Just I've thrown out a few plugs already. I've t- mentioned the Patreon and the Redbubble and Public merchandise shops, but there's other ways that you can support Smartcat Moment, of course. That's by heading to the website, smartcatmoment.com, checking out the articles, leaving comments, liking, sharing the articles around on social media. You can follow Smartcat Moment, of course, on social media, at Smartcat Moment on both Facebook and Twitter. Um, other than that, there's the uh, Fanboys Anonymous, which is Tony's uh, like geek culture side of things, where... Anything you want to know about movies or TV shows, comic books, video games, you can find a lot of awesome information in there. Not information, but a lot of great articles. And the articles have information, so I guess it is a lot of information in there. Yes. We're doing stuff on the Fanboys Anonymous YouTube channel. So there's currently the Review to a Kill series, where myself, Rob, and Tony are going through all the James Bond movies and doing a review of those. Uh, We also recently did a special draft of the Pokemon uh, from Generation 1, where we just drafted our favourite Pokemon oh, yeah, against each that, other. 
That's a good time. You guys need to check that out. Um, there's also stuff in there about uh, Mulan. There is Batman, Superman, Public Enemies. I watch along there. WandaVision's ending. So we're going to do something on that. We just don't know what or when. So this might actually be up before that. But that's something to be on the lookout for. And yeah, we're doing so much great stuff over at Families Anonymous as well as Smart Gal Moment. So remember, keep hitting up those Patreons because at the end of the day, you are in control. And yeah, of course, it's a good time to just subscribe and hit the notification bell on Smart Gal Moment because next up, we'll be reviewing, uh, doing our post show of AEW Revolution. So we've already got the predictions up there on the web, on the vid, on the uh, YouTube channel and on the podcast feed. So if you haven't uh, checked that out already, then do so now before the show itself takes place because those predictions become pretty redundant after the show takes place. Right. But uh, definitely join us for the uh, post show as well. I think we might be doing that live as well. So once you, if you've got the if you are um, subscribed or you have uh, the bell for notifications turned on, then you'll be able to find out when we are going live. So that'll be great. And there's plenty more stuff to go forward. I mean, it's nearly Wrestle- it's pretty much WrestleMania season, so plenty of content coming your way on this channel. Uh, Rob, it's WrestleMania season, and you're going to be doing a lot of stuff as well. Yeah, that means I'm busy. So, of course, you can find me every day at Fightful.com, doing all sorts of cool stuff with Sean Rossap and Jeremy Lambert and the whole team over there. You can check out Fightful Select. They're always breaking scoops. Such as, you know, we're leading into AEW Revolution Weekend, so be on the lookout for a lot of cool stuff there. Um, yeah, just keep subscribing. Follow me on Twitter at Dude Felice. And again, thank you for joining us on this journey because, well, Cal and I love this stuff. It's nice to not have to scream into the void about it. And it was fun to revisit a pivotal part in my fandom. Yeah, absolutely. That's the same for me as well. Um, this isn't the last that you're going to see of us doing retro stuff because me and my, Rob can't help ourselves. We are nostalgia junkies. Yeah, we, we're nostalgia junkies. And if you can get away from today's product, it's likely better that you do. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hopefully you'll be joining us on any future journeys we take as well. And we will make sure that you are aware of what we are. Or you'll just see it on the YouTube channel and think, oh, good, they're doing another series. And then we'll, be, we'll, just, we'll just surprise you with it. Who knows what we'll come up with next? Who knows? But in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Weekmeister14, obviously Rob at Dude Felice, as, as he said. And yeah, thank you very much. And we will see you for a special review of this. And yeah, thank you again very much for joining us on the journey. But for now, this has been another Smart Out moment, and we are being counted out. Bye.